Hello, I am Cody Allingham, and this is the Transformation of Value podcast. This show is brought to you by Swarbricks, the first law firm in New Zealand to accept Bitcoin for legal services. The team at Swarbricks are Bitcoiners and they are knowledgeable about the legal aspects of Bitcoin in New Zealand in areas like estate planning, property and trusts. Swarbricks offers a 20% discount for services paid in Bitcoin. Find out more at swarbricks.co.nz bitcoin. Now in today's episode I talk with Kevin Whitmore from Callaghan Innovation. Callaghan are a New Zealand state entity providing research and development assistance and funding to help Kiwi businesses grow. We talk about Kevin's background and his journey of understanding Bitcoin and what money is, as well as his current role looking at Web3. For Kevin, Web3 is focused broadly on decentralized internet tech, and we discuss payment innovations with the Lightning Network, Bitcoin, Nostra, and more. I am encouraged to see an interest in Bitcoin technology from the New Zealand government. I welcome Callahan's approach of objectively looking at everything that comes their way and making judgments based on first principles. Ultimately, having a vehicle like Kevin's work at Callahan Innovation could be one of the ways New Zealand becomes a first mover in adopting Bitcoin. I am even quietly encouraged to see the label Web3 reclaimed by genuinely decentralized tech such as Nostra, Lightning Zaps, and Fedi. I do hope you enjoy this episode. If you want to get in touch with me, please send an email to hello at the transformationofvalue.com and I will get back to you. Otherwise, on to the show. Kevin, welcome. Thank you. What a day it's been. We've just um, been talking about a few things that are happening uh, more broadly uh, in New Zealand, but um, I appreciate you making the time to come down to the studio. Um, I first met you at BitKiwi a couple of weeks back. Um, I think before then we had just inter- uh, interfaced over uh, LinkedIn and some of the Web3 work that you're doing. Yep. Um, I'm just keen to sort of understand a little bit, kind of zooming out, how did you get here? What's what's your Bitcoin story? How did you end up? How did we end up meeting at BitKiwi? Yeah, well, uh, I guess my my first experience with it was actually a bit of a it was a bit of a joke. It was a bit of a prank. <laughs> um, I had a friend who did a three month nano degree at the University of Cyprus on digital assets, and we just thought, what on earth is this? This is back in twenty fourteen, I think it was. Uh, and so by 2015, everything he was talking about had kind of dipped off and crashed. So we thought it would be a bit of a laugh if we got involved. Um, mostly just to, yeah, I guess have a bit of a laugh more than anything else. So that was 2015. Along came 2017. Things started to ramp up again. And yeah, that's when I sort of went down the rabbit hole and went, not not only is, you know, not just what are these things, but how does money work? Uh, what happened in 1971? Um, all those sort of, uh, uh, I guess, the background to to what what makes up hard money. Um, so that was that was my orange pilling moment, I guess. Yeah. Um, and people ask, you know, why, you know, what is it about Bitcoin? And actually, wasn't Bitcoin. It was learning about all the other traits of money that led me to understand and go down this this path, I guess. You um you were working in fintech though once mm-hmm. upon a time so uh, I'm interested because you also talk about um your time studying Japanese uh, of all things which is something close to my heart so how does that all work together your time in Singapore your fintech background and and Japanese yeah so I was ten years in Asia five years in Japan five years in Singapore um, and got the opportunity to run a business a fintech business in Singapore 
uh, which was doing co uh, expense management for banks. Uh, so that was, yeah, that was unreal. It was, yeah, very much 10xing everything else that I'd done in terms of exposure to new things. Um, and yeah, that was that was a fintech business. So we had, um, I guess, consulting, managed service, software development, uh, and that was yeah, that was Singapore for us. <clears throat> and yeah, just exposure to the banking circles, I guess, also helped with you know the monetary aspects of understanding and learning about some of these things and being close to I guess the the traditional finance side of things. Um, yeah really really shone a light on what it meant to 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 this new world of digital assets yeah wow and you, you said five years in japan was that tokyo or you were in somewhere yeah, else? it was one year on the jet program yeah. so it was wajima oh um, nice a fishing village of twenty eight thousand people kind of the, the exact opposite of tokyo the exact opposite of tokyo no trains they were ripping up the train the railways when i was there which is very much antithetical to to, to Japan, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, just very much immersed local local culture, local everything. I'm just curious. So as Japanese at Canterbury, that wasn't Edwina Palmer, was your? Yep. 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 Yeah, I know. Yep. yep. She was uh, she taught me as well. So um, that's interesting. A small world. Uh, and it's interesting though talking about Japan. So often the first thing that really blows people away is just how backwards some of the uh, the the stuff like banking is. You know, mm -hmm. like still use the little books for printing yep. out your balances and kind of the dichotomy of this kind of high-tech image and then the actual low-tech um, legacy banking system. Uh, Singapore is a little bit different, a little bit more agile, but overall, did, did that sort of, did you have any insight from the way the Japanese were looking at the banking system, their, their approach to fintech? Yeah, I guess, yeah, seeing ATMs close on weekends and after <laughs> certain, yeah, it was, it was that sort of stuff. And they're very much a hands-on physical, I think, even from an investment perspective, gold is... Is, is heavily featured over there um so yeah i mean that's that's the japan way of things but also very different uh, countryside versus in the cities right in terms of their exposure their story still very high credit card users um throughout the country uh but yeah typically um in countryside you'll see one of more remote areas you'll see more cash usage versus versus other things cash is huge mm. in japan and yeah. i mean certainly when i went back in may i noticed though that uh, perhaps in, in tandem with the uh, the Olympics they had recently, things have changed a lot. Like it, it's become a lot easier to operate uh, as a visitor. Um, things like credit card acceptance, withdrawing funds into local currency. It's certainly improved, but still on the ground there are challenges. But you had this background working um, Singapore um, in the heart of, of, of fintech. And then what brought you to, to Callaghan? Yeah, so I did... Uh, the, obviously the fintech thing prior to that um, yeah I was also in, in IT and sort of had quite a traditional background before I became an entrepreneur so yeah um, uh, yeah unfortunately I still have uh, Lehman Brothers to my name as well as one one year there so I got quite a bit of exposure to the good and the bad side I guess you'd say of of uh, the banking and the, the financial services um, which has also kind of inspired me in this space as well around um, what what we're seeing in terms of these these new movements, etc. So the Callahan side of things, I guess it was an opportunity uh, for the first uh, few years that I was that I've been with with Callahan Innovation. It's we've mostly been concentrating on SaaS companies, so so pure digital businesses, but not so much um, on emerging software side. 
uh, so blockchain, anything related to sort of sort of that Web three sphere, um, we've only really been involved with it heavily in the last eighteen months or so. Um, but yeah, we've been sort of assessing uh, project grants and and things that are coming through through to us in terms of new innovation since 2017, 2018. Um, but yeah, what drew me to it was was yeah, just the opportunity to work with some smart people in a sphere that that I can give back and help other businesses. It's my time to to kind of uh, switch off as an entrepreneur and and help other entrepreneurs and founders um, with their businesses, etc. Yeah, well, I can certainly attest more broadly to the um, the impact that Callahan Innovation has just across its portfolio. I guess with some of my other work, um, Callahan's been uh, very valuable um, in terms of stewardship, um, some of the grants and things to enable work and um, research and development in particular. Um, it's certainly, I think, an asset for New Zealand to have that sort of organisation. Um, looking at what it means for money, though. Um, obviously, you're talking about SaaS products here, but I mean, fundamentally, Bitcoin represents a, a challenge to the status quo of money and the way we think about money. How do you see that interfacing with the likes of Reserve Bank, the um, the FMA, these other organisations, which have a, I guess, a stake in what money means uh, and are perhaps ambivalent towards innovation? Yeah, it's interesting. I guess one of the privileges of working with um, Callahan Innovation, which is um, a crown entity, is that we do get to interact quite frequently with regulators and 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 people that are, you know, obviously the Reserve Bank, but um, the IRD and other government agencies. And I, I wouldn't say that they're ambivalent to innovation. I think there's especially a lot of in- individuals that are actually very pro-innovation, um, even though collectively it, you might not get that that impression from some of the organizations um, themselves. There are definitely some individuals that are assessing these things, um, seeing where they're going, um, you know, whether or not they, they deem them to be money yet is still is still obviously uh, under debate. But I think there's definitely some smart people that are involved with watching the space and assessing it as it grows. Um, so yeah, I think, that's one of the things that, that has kind of spurred us to interact more with other agencies. Is It's not something that we're going to do alone. It, it collectively needs people to understand the space and move it forward. How do you broach the difference between, uh, say, fintech, which ultimately is technology and innovation built upon a, a legacy fiat system, and then the, the true revolution and the kind of um, upending of of fiat money that you see with something like, something like Bitcoin, like how do those two fit together? Because often what I've seen is that the people who understand or are working in fintech, it's almost uh, impossible for them to anticipate or understand a system that threatens the very existence of that structure. I mean, how, how do you see that? How do you navigate that, that um, dichotomy? Yeah, I think it's open-mindedness and I guess looking at everything from first principles is... Yeah, it is really easy, and we see a lot of a lot of businesses, a lot of products, a lot of technologies. It's very easy to dismiss something or assume that you know exactly how it functions um, because you've seen it before, type thing. Um, but the reality is, if you are open-minded and and take that approach to looking at everything with fresh eyes, um, I think yeah, I think there's a lot of things that are um, challenging, challenging in the status quo, and it's uh, yeah. I think the payment space is is definitely one that I'm interested in. Um, 
especially looking at what's happening it's 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 quite exciting to see people tinkering with with things like lightning um, and seeing what can be built um, it sort of reminds me of that you know earlier 80s type period where we were you know looking at things like if if and, and reinventing our payment systems etc um, and obviously it's slow but um, it also feels like more of a groundswell rather than a VC-led charge, if you know what I mean. Well, what's interesting, actually, reflecting back on my, on my time in Japan and talking to some people there, there's actually, there's almost there's two layers to it. And I mean, literally, there's, there's the base layer of Bitcoin, but then the innovation layer of um, things like the Lightning Network, which are actually uh, broadly that my, my, my impression was that in Japan, there's a lot more people who are working on that sort of stuff so you got the the likes of the diamond hands group and um, some of those people who are building on lightning because that's a space that is open to um, you know rapid change and kind of that more more of that typical startup approach whereas the bitcoin base layer is very much a slow moving um, almost ossified at this point uh, you know the backbone of the whole thing and you don't want to be messing around with that too much Um, and so perhaps as you say a focus on the, the payments layer uh, and we're seeing some some of that emerging in New Zealand and globally. Perhaps that's where the kind of the higher speed innovation happens around what you know. How can you make a lightning payment? You know, tap and go stuff like that, um, and where that interfaces with legacy fiat as well. Yeah, and I think those are the those fintechs, those payment uh, businesses, are going to start challenging the the the, la- the the traditional layers and the payment rails, I guess. Uh, more than than maybe the the, the retail banks etc. I mean that's that's kind of their space is to to innovate and and um, yeah I guess capture market share um, and improve the the margins and efficiency that exist in the business. So yeah, that's that's definitely one area where I see it's 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 getting more traction. Yeah, well we've just had the the FIFA Women's World Cup here in Wellington, and I I think man. How many tourists and visitors have come through and been charged one dollar mm. uh, pay wave fees that they don't even know about? You yep. know, it's not a very good look. No. And I'm not sure, but it seems like New Zealand's one of the outliers with that kind of price gouging. Um, I don't know what. Do you know what it's like overseas with tap and go payments? Yeah, I don't. I don't know comparatively how it how it sits, but I do know that we're we're pretty high <laughs> up there. It's. Uh, <laughs> it's not a good look. Yeah, and I love this approach because it's very uh, pragmatic. You know, looking at you know a real problem i, I remember talking to uh, or someone's told me about some of the the horror stories around merchant fees in new zealand um, and it can be quite a significant percentage of especially for hospitality or retail yep. businesses um, and that is all being funneled away um, uh, and, and and there's not really anything to show for it so looking at payment have you you've seen a, f- a few projects in that space come through over your desk yeah for sure um and I guess yeah, going back to the Lightning Network, it's it's exciting. Um, when I was over in the US recently for for one of the the conferences, I was able. It was actually the Bitcoin conference. I was able to um, pay for something over there using my that connected back to my node over a Zeus app. Um, and I've got an open channel with with Rob, who's had a chat with you in the in the past uh, down in Queenstown. So it was quite cool to be in Miami, connected to a node in Wellington. With an open payment channel to Queenstown, that charged less than a less than a cent New Zealand for its transaction fee, and then I could get something physically handed to me in in, in Miami. So, yeah, that sort of stuff kind of puts it in context. Um, but there's off there's you know beyond beyond Lightning as well. There's there's other payment initiatives that are that are happening, and I think it's it's going to require 
you know, multiple, a multi-pronged approach. Um, there will be some people that, that require some form of stable coin um, to get access to the system based on either <clears throat> volatility or um, just, just reality of what they need to pay for and, and, and closer to a, a fiat equivalent. Um, so there's some businesses happening that are that are working on on this space to make that more uh, available and ubiqu- ubiquitous in New Zealand. Yeah, thank you. No, the um, stable coins are interesting. They they sort of uh, the, the the stable coin and then the CBDC is the one that's always um, brought up. And I know the Reserve Bank actively looking at that. But what what does that mean for New Zealand? I mean, I think I'm certainly eyes open trying to see where it's heading but it seems like a bit of a closed project in terms of the cbdc side of it i mean have you got any insight or thoughts on where that's going and what the reserve bank's looking at with with i think without yeah i guess our our, probably our um, goal from a calendar innovation perspective is to provide some rigor around not necessarily directly into projects like cbdc's but in terms of the the access to um, data scientists and the equivalent, um, we can do things that will shine a light on the potential good and or bad of things like CBDC. So an example might be a feasibility study, which we're looking to conduct at the moment. And that would go something like, is a anonymous open source quantum resistant CBDC even feasible? And I know there's potentially some oxymorons in there but the, the starting point is what what is this what, what does this even mean if in terms of the design or the structure or something in terms of uh, the feasibility of, of of what's being discussed and if we can run independently some form of uh, project or scientific analysis around uh, what we see hopefully that can be taken into consideration or sit adjunct to any any projects that you know are, are happening in this in this space, um, and without necessarily being directly involved in, in what's going on. Yeah, I think one of the things from from you know from this seat that I see, you know, looking up the road to the Reserve Bank, one of the challenges is that you know Bitcoin doesn't it's got a brand, but it doesn't have a, a CEO. There's no uh, marketing department except what um, people choose to talk about and and, and choose to um, share um, personally, and in a way, uh, the, you know, the innovation of the Lightning Network, for example, is, is extremely decentralized, but also very powerful. And because there's no brand name, there's no company, there's nothing that you can kind of latch on to, um, you know, is there the possibility that, you know, the, the Reserve Bank is going to get hoodwinked by the likes of Binance or Ripple or some uh, unregistered security provider to build this thing, which actually needs to be built using open source technology like Bitcoin and Lightning? Um you know, who do you talk to when you want to when you want to implement Lightning for the New Zealand market at a national level? Where do you even start with that? Yeah, it's a good question, and I think we're also we're not always, especially from a government government lens in a resourced um, context, able to do a lot of the things that we we will look overseas to a lot of things, right? Yeah. And that's just the nature of uh, being a smaller country at the bottom of. The where we are yeah. um, we'll look at Australia we'll look at what ASIC are doing um, we'll look at what um, uh, Singapore are doing in terms of the M- uh, MAS Monetary Authority of Singapore um, we'll look at what technologies exist but I think we're also probably going to get quite a steer from 
some of the developing nations as well. And so if we see adoption in places like Africa, obviously El Salvador is doing, doing its thing. Um, all eyes on Argentina at the moment in terms of their current presidential um, potential candidate. Um, yeah, the, the, there's things that are happening that may force our hand. Um, so maybe we aren't the ones that necessarily shift first or have to be directly influenced internally. These might be influences that come from overseas, but I think being just being across all of those things, which is part of what I, my role is as well, is just being aware of all the trends and all the things that are occurring uh, so that we can kind of factor them in from a New Zealand context. Yeah, that's uh, that's really important work. I mean, New Zealand's an interesting place. You know, FPOS, for example, was quite we were quite early to that particular piece of tech. But with many other things, you know, the joke is New Zealand is 10 years late on everything else. And that can almost play out in our favour with these kinds of things because we can let other countries trailblaze and see what worked, what didn't work. Yet at the same time, there is certainly a first mover advantage um, in something like money. Um, it will Time will tell. And what's the impetus for change, right? Why, why give up your card that you can swipe if it works type things. I think overseas they've, you know, in places like China with, with WeChat and things like that, they've they've shifted based on a specific need. So maybe our need is merchant fees like we were talking about before. Maybe that's a catalyst to saying if we can reduce these down to almost zero, that's a reason to jump into something different. Yeah, well, I mean, speaking of China, my f- uh, good friend has just come back from China and I caught up with him yesterday and he <laughs> opened up his wallet and showed me his 100 RMB notes and he said he couldn't even use them. And when I was last in China, you know, I, I was still able to pay cash. Though It was very hard to find uh, money changes, you know, to, to swap out money for RMB. Uh, everything's WeChat now. And I, I'm not even sure what that means. Like, if you're visiting, like, how do you even set that up? Like, what does that mean? Um you know, for for society to have that all being run through one single app, um, and certainly the, the, they're facing their own challenges there with that. Um, and I mean, that's one way of looking at it. And then you've got, I mean, Japan being the other one, which is still for the most part 90% cash um, for day-to-day transactions. And, you know, these huge black holes of money that are swirling around. Um, it, it's good to, I guess, have a variety of examples to look at um, to base decisions on. Yeah, and just coming back to the Reserve Bank, I mean, they, to their credit, they've had 6,000 6, submissions on uh, the cash system in New Zealand, and they've they've obviously taken that on board um, to ensure that this is a, a property or a vehicle that, that we will retain, because uh, there's people that depend on it, there's communities that depend on it, there's communities that don't have access to a local bank branch, for example, and have to travel on a bus to, to get access to those sorts of things. So... In terms of keeping that as a vehicle, that seems to be well and firmly entrenched in, at the moment. Um, whether or not it's the right vehicle for everybody, that should be an option, I think. Um, so, yeah, that's at least being kept in the frame in New Zealand versus, I know, some other countries, it's um, it's losing the battle in terms of... Uh, uh, relevance or um, yeah in terms of being a, a vehicle yeah no it's I mean there is a, a technologist approach to it which would say cash is outdated and, and, and that sort of thing but certainly for myself I stand uh, in solidarity um, having been through the um, uh, Cyclone Gabriel in Hawke's Bay where my family is you know not being able to use FPOS or anything uh, for a number of days uh, weeks in some areas I mean cash works and um, you know I'm often 
are taken aback in, in Wellington when you've got cashless venues because you know instantly you're excluding many people who are unbanked. And I, someone told me um, as many as 20,000 um, beneficiaries are unbanked and so they get a family member to receive the money in, 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 in lieu of them. And those sort of numbers I think aren't spoken about. I, I feel like in the media um, we've got a lack of discussion around these topics. I mean, I'm not sure the general public are aware of even some of the, the machinations of some of the, the discussions that we're having right now. Um, I mean, what, what's your take around sort of the general public kind of the educational piece around these discussions and that sort of thing? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, maybe before, before we talk about the general public, I think even ourselves, we sometimes get um, a little bit of the bias comes in, we get sort of ensconced in our own worlds. It's an echo chamber. You know, you listen to a lot of technologists talking about the next thing. There's some amazing things happening and we often lose our focus on the broader uh, societal impact of what would happen if these people get excluded, if we implemented this. And I think that's a good way to challenge all new technologies is to say, right, this applies really well in this context. How does it apply or how would you how would you fit it into these different communities? Um, so if you've got some that are more based on reputation barter systems and things like that, how does how does this fit with with that sort of thing or does it not fit and that's okay um so i think general education uh yeah it's it's a hard one i think we're we've got processes that a lot of people are um happy with and or apathetic about change because it works for them and it's it's a hard thing to do i know this happens as well in the spaces like digital identity obviously things like real me we've tried to implement as a as a collective society and and that I think has um, last count was something like half a million. Yeah, half a million people had adopted RealMe. So those sorts of new technologies, those changes, it's it's yeah, it's not simple in terms of how you encourage proliferation of those sorts of things. But um, it's definitely something we need to think about. And more broadly, um, obviously, you've got a background in Singapore. Um, you know, looking at the fintech and some of the innovation there, and. Uh, very much that kind of city-state, um, you know, the, the unique um, niche that Singapore exists in uh, enabled a lot of that um, international banking and, and that to flourish there. What do you see as the role of innovation technology in New Zealand's future? I think a lot of it's community-based. So we've we've got, we've engaged uh, quite heavily with um, some initiatives that uh, are working with small community groups and some of this is money-based but motive, mo a lot of it is actually uh, funding mechanisms so working with the, the well-being protocol for example uh, they have um, worked on a project with sport nz nukora tiatiawa um, on a trial with a, a group of men called uh, tanihaura and the purpose of that was to see if we could get funding into into uh, community groups that typically have problems uh, filling out application forms or adhering to the expectations of whoever is dish dishing out that money. Um, there's of, often bureaucratic layers involved in, in certain ways and things like that. So could we use some of these new um, voting mechanisms to allow communities access to the sorts of the sorts of things that will help facilitate them because they know what they they sort of need obviously it has to go through a process 
but putting that on more of a <clears throat> transparent um, app-based conviction voting type type uh, process. So that's one. There's another one that's um, in the pipelines as well, which isn't public yet, but it's, yeah, it's working with communities so that rather than just being off in technology land or innovation for the sake of innovation, it has a tangible output. We can see it working with the people that um, need it the most and, and measure it from there. Yeah, I think communities are really important. And we saw that again, come back to the, say the, the cyclone, for example, and just how people were able to come come together in, in my part of the world there and, um, and kind of get through it. Um, certainly, though, building resiliency and, and the economic reality of New Zealand's situation, you know, we're we're not Singapore, and we're at the bottom of the world. Um, obviously, there's traditional industry and agriculture and that sort of thing here. But in terms of the future information economy, uh, a hyper-Bitcoinized world, for example, you know, how can uh, New Zealand communities um, interface with that effectively? Uh, certainly, something I'm trying to explore with this podcast. Um, because I mean, I, I think there's the bones of a good country here. Um, we're going through a rough period at the moment, but could we be, you know, could we be the first to adopt the the FPOS of of Bitcoin, for example, and really lead the world in that space as a small, nimble country? Um, yeah, the, uh, Jack Dorsey posted a map of the world flipped upside down the other the other day and said, "Why not?" Yeah. Um, so we could actually just see ourselves as at the top of the world if if we if we chose to. Yeah. Um, I think. There's a lot of buzzwords out there, and I think there's a lot of trigger words uh, in this space in terms of blockchain, Web3, whatever, you know, <laughs> Bitcoin maximalists, what, whatever your your take is. I think for me, what I'm seeing is it's decentralized internet technologies for me as the group, and it can be Nostra, it can be uh, whatever technology you're you're interested in, but I think that opens New Zealand up to connectivity, uh, being integrated into a world that's now pretty hyper-connected. Um, we can be very much a part of that decentralized movement um, and you don't have to be based in certain places. We we constantly get um, feedback that there are people looking for software developers that, uh, you know, high-paid jobs, weightless jobs, sustainable jobs. So, you know, traditionally in New Zealand we've had Tourism and dairy is, is kind of our drivers, and when you look at an environmental impact, it's you know it's it's challenging for us to to scale beyond what we what we have, or arguably even up to what we have. Um, but when you look at the 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 space of of digital, especially decentralized internet te technologies, it's weightless, right? It's it's scalable. It's um, it's high paying jobs. Um, I think it's a space we can play in quite quite well. Yeah, and and I mean, recognizing though, I think that there are, there is a balance there. I mean, certainly, I'm, I'm adjacent to some agritech work, and I, I appreciate New Zealand does have a unique position to be able to grow things. I mean, dairy aside, um, high value fruit and export crops. Um, I mean, New Zealand's perfectly situated to do that, and the technology as well that goes into that. You know, it takes a lot of work to grow a kiwi fruit. People don't realize it doesn't just happen on its own, um, and that kind of feeds into this information economy though because you've got the actual you know primary production of these things but then the ip and the knowledge into how it works uh, which again in other parts of callahan that's being uh, looked at and, and supported so i think broadly an innovative approach to 
uh, information, uh, an innovative approach to innovation um, is, is really important. Um, and again, being these islands in the, at the bottom of the world, um, we need to lean into what we've got here. Yeah, exactly. Add value to, to our raw products as well. I think it's kind of something that we're, we need to do more of. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, interesting. You mentioned Nostra. Um, they, they are having a, there is a Nostra Asia conference coming up in November uh, in Tokyo cool. or Tokyo slash Hong Kong, um, which will be interesting to see how a decentralized group uh, centralizes itself into yeah. a conference. Yeah. Um, but how do you feel about that? I mean, that's sort of going, getting away from the um, the money side of Bitcoin, but stuff like Nostra, I mean, is that within the remit of what you're looking at with Callahan? Yeah, totally. Um, I mean, in terms of from a from an innovation technology perspective, it's very much around, yeah. What what are the latest trends? Where is it going? I mean, it's been interesting to see Nostra from a from a relay perspective just be able to do what it does. Obviously, it's still still small, um, but you can see things unfolding in the world of Twitter, Instagram, all those sorts of things. There's a lot of talk around governments intervening and and things like that in terms of. Um, uh, these platforms so if there is a sense uh, censorship resistant or at least a more flexible way of consuming and interacting with social media then those things are absolutely relevant to to where things are headed so yeah well i mean it's interesting as well i mean looking at the natural attributes or the attributes i guess of a, of a country or a jurisdiction i mean singapore you know again your background there but i mean there's certainly some challenges there uh, around human rights and things uh, same with china different parts of the world um there's always almost there's these trade-offs right and it seems like censorship resistance though not necessarily in uh, the government's best interest is in the best interest of the people and actually represents a very attractive um what's almost a resource or a, an attribute of a, of a country to be able to build um build in the open and not risk that kind of shutdown or closure that we're seeing happen in a lot of places how would you I mean, how would you rate New Zealand's um, approach to some of those fundamental human rights that we, um, we're we seeing sort of eroded globally? Yeah, it's a good question. I remember we were um, we had some, some visitors at some point from the US who were quite concerned about, uh, I think we had a, the ability that we changed uh, some, some law at some point around uh, being able to, um, customs being able to seize uh, digital devices and things like that. And they were quite concerned about that I think we obviously have rules that exist and rules that are enforced. Um, and, you know, there's always a fine line between it. <laughs> so it's, I, I, I don't know if, you know, whether we're the best in the world at, at some of these things. I think we often rely on the fact that we're, we're small and, 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 and so far haven't adopted too firm a, um, an approach to, to enforcing some of these things. Um, but yeah, a lot of that also comes back to to our culture versus take it easy, mate, sort of thing. Eh? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I just you know, um, death for drugs is yep. what they say at the airport in Singapore, and I think, man, um, what that would mean in the New Zealand context, um, or you know, just um, you know, being able to say, look, I don't agree with what the government says. Mm. You know, like in a way that just getting out of the way is enough for innovation to get going in a lot of cases. Yep. Um, and so I think keeping uh, certainly from my perspective keeping that in mind um as things um get increasingly uh frothy um globally and politically but um 
I, I mean, that, I, th I think, as I said at the beginning, I mean, I think the work Callahan's doing is really powerful, really important. You're based here in, in Wellington, but is, is that the Web3 team is mainly here or? No, we're pretty much everywhere in New Zealand. Um, we also had somebody in Melbourne previously. Uh, so we, we try and adopt that kind of decentralized, decentralized approach, yeah. uh, which works well. Uh, so, we're, yeah, we're living that. Um, it even allowed me to, to get away to, to Japan at the, the start of the year. So I was over there for, for a bit. Um, operating normally had was in the in a forest of um, out near Karoizawa and oh, um, nice. had three meg, 300 meg up and down so I was still able to operate and most people thought I was still in Wellington so yeah. um, no but we are decentralized in, a, in that that sort of context and then we come together uh, when we need to yeah you still got a bit of a connection to Japan oh very much so yeah yeah yeah, yeah my, my wife's Japanese my kids are half Japanese obviously so yeah, we get back there when we when we can. Nice. Yeah, no, it's certainly um I got a special place in my heart and I'm hoping hoping to get back in November so um I can catch up. There's so there's actually quite a, a quite an interesting Bitcoin scene there. Mm. Um and yeah, Tokyo, I mean it's just a, a creative city. I mean the rest of Japan's also amazing, but um just the the sheer scale of it uh, is really mind blowing if you've never seen a mega city before. Though perhaps an endangered species. I mm. mean, as we decentralize, everyone wants to move to the countryside. Um, but hey, Kevin, I appreciate you um, popping in and, and having catch up. Is um, there anything you want to share in terms of people who are interested in what we're talking about here with Callahan uh, Innovation, your work? Uh, if they want to get in touch or learn more about this, where, where can they go? Yeah, so there's a website, uh, web3nz.xyz. Um, and I, I think that's regardless of what uh, sphere in decentralized internet technologies you find yourselves we're just encouraging people to come through that as a gateway even if you're a bitcoin maxi or whatever whatever philosophy you 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 adopt because we're a small nation there will be sub entities or, or categories that 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 sort of hopefully feed off that as well um, but that is a starting point we're just trying to encourage um, as many people to come through and then from there uh, yeah, we're, we're trying to disseminate information around the regulatory situation in New Zealand, um, the legal scene, taxation, like all the things that businesses need to know about in order to uh, yeah, build good, good businesses here. And often that's quite expensive in terms of the advice. So the idea is if we can democratize access to that information, we can encourage more innovation, more businesses. So definitely that is a starting point. Um, there's a community there. And um, yeah, any questions and things like that that people have, hopefully we can get people in front of experts as well that, that will help yeah. distribute that information. Well, I, I must admit, you you had um, Lisa from Base58 mm. on recently who did a masterclass on the Lightning Network and I was blown away with how, mm. how well put, put together that was. It was a very well done presentation um, and you know I think you did really well to, to get her you know to talk to the group and organize that masterclass. Yeah, I bumped into her at uh, it was a TBD event um, in in Miami as well. Yeah, she just walked up and said, "Hey, what do you do?" And I said, "You know, I work for for New Zealand government." And she said, "I'm a Lightning developer," and and we we set it all up. So and that was in a collaboration with with uh, AUT as well. Oh, so we actually yeah. had a whole That's whole true. university class, computer science class there, um, listening to her as well. So that was really good. Yeah, no, thank you for that. It was um, really awesome, and to have that kind of caliber of um, 
of resource you know um, facilitated and um, certainly I know myself and many many others got a lot of value out of that so um, yeah it's, it's great stuff Kevin um, really appreciate it and yeah let's um, let's keep in touch absolutely thanks. thanks Cody cheers thank you for listening I do hope you enjoyed the show I am Cody Allingham and that was the transformation of value if you'd like to get in touch please send me an email at hello at the transformation of value.com and I will get back to you